Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness and thanks for listening. This is a show designed to celebrate the greatness inside everyday people. So grab a drink, kick your feet up and settle in. Before I start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia. I think honouring Indigenous Australians is a lot more important than just reading from a generic, impersonal script. So I'd like to honour our traditional owners from the heart. I love being an Australian, so I'd like to honour those who came before us, those who share their land with us today, and those who follow us. As a white Australian, I'm embarrassed about some of the things that have happened in this country in the past, but I'd like to acknowledge that I feel horrible for any pain that's been caused. I'd also like to acknowledge how beautiful Australian Aboriginal culture, your past, your place in today's society and your future are. Thank you for sharing your country with us. Authentic learning as a school kid sounds dumb. Shouldn't everybody and everything just be what they are? The irony of this simplicity, though, is that there are so many ways today to be somebody else. Social media means you can create fake profiles, put up fake posts, fake pictures, and tell fake stories that make you look more popular and get more likes. Authentic learning sounds boring, but it couldn't be more important in today's society. Authentic learning is designed to connect what's taught in school to real-world issues. It's been said that education is what survives when what has been learned has been forgotten. Authentic learning sounds very deep and philosophical, but the good news for kids, though, is that you don't need to worry about working towards production of discourse, products and performances that have value or meaning beyond success in school. Let the adults deal with all that nonsense. You guys just need to go and have fun. And all you need to know is that everything you need to be the person you want to be is inside you right now. So just be yourself. It is good enough. A lot of adults will tell you, if you're going through something that you don't like, to stay calm and just be yourself. And it quite often sounds totally useless Everybody today is looking for that something extra to make them stand out from the crowd. 2016 school captain at the Hills Grammar School, Cooper Lee, is an extraordinary person because if he faces challenges, he just stays calm and he's happy to be himself. Cooper wanted to play AFL for the Sydney Swans. He didn't quite reach that lofty goal, but he stayed calm and trusted himself and he helped his local footy club, the Pennant Hills Demons, win the 2017 Premiership. As school captain, Cooper hoped that his legacy would show kids that just by being himself, he could make a contribution to his school that would add value to the world just by being authentic. And Cooper Lee joins me now, and I'm privileged to say Cooper joins me on Everyday Greatness. Cooper, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Barnaby. Thanks for having me. You've got Plenty of great guests this episode. I'm not really or this uh, season. I'm not really sure how I managed to get a look in, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Mate, you're my number one. <laughs> Did you ever think about the importance of being your authentic self when you were a kid in high school? I think I did to an extent. Um, I think the thing is, when you're at school, you're just not really sure who exactly your authentic self is. Um, and so I knew there was always value in being authentic, but I just didn't really know who, who I was at the time. Um, I, so I do think, though, that one of my strong suits has always been um, I've been good at doing my own thing. Um, and that's something that was shown even during school. Both my older brothers ended up – oh, sorry, my older brother ended up going to a big prestigious high school 
and I was just quite content staying where I was at Hills. Um, and I was also the only person in my friend group who played AFL and, and that stuff never really bothered me because I was happy to just do my own thing and, and stay true to myself, I suppose. You poor thing. You only went to the lowly Hills Grammar School. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel prepared to chase your AFL dream after you left school in 2016? And why or why not? Not not really. I think, um, yeah, from the age of nine when I started playing until 16 or 17, I, or that's all I really wanted to do and all I ever planned to do after school. But um, in year 12, I, I got an injury that uh, ruled me out for the entire season. And I think that gave me an opportunity to explore the other areas of my life more. And um, I realized once I'd finished school that even though I did have an opportunity to train with the, the Swans um, and, and even play a few games with their reserves, uh, I, I realized I wasn't really cut out to be a full-time AFL player and um, any sort of sacrifice that was necessary for me to pursue that. You know, I had friends who moved into state and sought more opportunities. I was never really prepared to do that from that point because, yeah, I had a great thing going with Pennant Hills and my uni was going great and so I just sort of wasn't prepared to, to make that sacrifice for that anymore. And the world's a much better place because of it. <laughs> with, with so much pressure at school these days to be popular and cool and given it's so easy to create fake profiles on social media, why would school kids choose to just be themselves when things go pear-shaped? Well, I think looking back now and having not been in a schoolyard for over five years, it's the obvious answer is just from their mental health and for happiness. And obviously this was what this podcast talks about, but everyone hears it growing up that, you know, you're much happier when you are yourself. I think um, it just goes back to what I was mentioning earlier where you're just not really sure at school who that person is. Um, and, you know, you're impressionable and you're unsure. And, and that means I think kids tend to then look towards the more confident kids for guidance on what, what is the appropriate way to behave and how to go about things. and the confident kids don't really know what they're doing either. I think it's more the blind leading the blind. And so that's when kids realize that, you know, actually once they have those experiences and figure out who they are and what they like and what they don't like and when they stick to that, that's when, you know, they become most fulfilled and, and get the most out of life. Given that, that there's so much uncertainty in school kids, do school kids have the confidence to tell their mates to pull their heads in if they're being tools? I don't think they do, to be honest. Uh, I think it would take a really special kid to, at that school age, be not only so sure in themselves and what they stand for, but to be able to enforce that on those around them. I think that would be a you know really special kid. Um, I think most people are still yeah just looking to to each other for on what's okay to in, to do and how to behave and um, yeah I, I just. I think um, – oh, sorry, yeah. I've bugged that. No, that's right. No, don't worry, mate. We'll go to the next one. So at your local footy club, the Pennant Hills Demons, do teammates tell each other to pull their heads in if they're carrying on? Definitely. I think – and that starts from an on-field relationship and then translates to off-field. So on-field, you know, obviously in the heat of emotion, it happens that teammates, you know, whether it's directed towards the umpire or directed towards each other when things don't go their way, emotions boil over. And, um, you know, amongst the teammates, especially at Pennant Hills, you know, we've got that relationship where we can be honest and it's not personal and, and have that clear communication to make sure that people are actually acting in line to what, you know, the team goal is. Um, and I think that sort of res relationship that you get on the field helps to then make sure that off the field, you know, we can't keep each other accountable in a similar way. Anyone sort of steps out of line, you know, they can um, be spoken to. And, it's yeah, it's never personal, but it's it's um, what needs to be done for the, you know, the best environment in the club and for people to have a good time there. Fair enough. With so many women's teams in Aussie rules these days, I think Pennant Hills have five women's teams. Can boys get away with being flat-out rude, drunken troublemakers anymore or do the girls tell them tell them to pull their heads in more than anyone else well i tell you what Barnaby it's been a while since there's been any sort of a footy social event I think it's over two years now but um, I'm not sure that it act, the responsibility does 
lie on the women and that they, they sort of intervene. I think what's happened more is the fact that there are so, such a big presence of women in the footy club now, that is representative itself of a cultural shift that's happened in those clubs, you know. And all the players there um, have sort of come to understand that, you know, a footy club, whilst it's always been an inclusive place for blokes, now that includes women and it includes people of different cultures. Um, and so, you know, that's, there's been that progression in that respect. And so um, I think the fact that women are um, given more of a presence in footy clubs, that goes to demonstrate the idea that, you know, the culture is what keeps people accountable, not as much as, you know, the responsibility on the women's particularly. Outstanding. So a lot of adults talk about how damaging social media can be for their kids with all the trolling and anonymous abuse. But how bad is social media on the ground? What kind of damage can it do to school kids? Well, I definitely can see how, you know, I suppose back before social media, if people were were being bullied, once it got to three o'clock and they're able to go home, that would stop. And with social media, there is no boundary like that and they can still experience it after school. And, um, you know, if, if you're not invited to something, that sort of exclusion can be exacerbated by seeing pictures of it on the internet. But mm-hmm. to be honest, my experience with um, the damage of social media hasn't ever really been around direct trolling or messages of abuse, but it's just more like of a, of a subtle thing in that there's expectations around body image and self-worth that develop, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and kids, I remember it used to be a really big thing at school that if you got more than 100 likes on Facebook, then, you know, that was the, that made you popular and that was how you could prove to be popular. And, you know, there was another medium called Ask FM where you could just ask anonymous questions and, you know, the, the sort of toxic stuff that people were talking about, ranking each other in terms of their looks and mm-hmm. that's just... Um, I think has more damaging uh, impact on kids because, you know, that's where they derive their value and they think if they're not getting 100 likes or if they're not listed in the top five, then they lose their self-worth and that's where I think it really has a negative impact on our, on the impressionable, yes, school kids. Pardon my old man ignorance, but who the hell is FM? Yeah. Oh, it was just this old – I was in for about a year. And it was just this website thing where you could, people would post questions anonymously and um, you were able to respond to them. And obviously, that's just a recipe for disaster. 15 year old kids getting their hands on that. That's, yeah, it was terrible. Looking back on it, that's, that's not, yeah, how social media is to be used. That sounds very, very unhealthy. Kids have always been under a lot of pressure to succeed at school. People who used to be proud of trying hard, whether they win, lose, or draw used to be bagged out and called tryhards. Is there any pride anymore in just being proud of your performance in school or is everybody trying to be the best? I think that comes down to the individual um, and them being comfortable with their own level and being able to recognise that. Um, For example, my little brother, he's a really good basketballer but academics has never really been his strong suit and he's been able to recognize that and sets really achievable goals for himself studies really hard and when he gets that he's proud as punch and even though you know he's not getting marks that lawyers or aspiring doctors would be would be happy to be getting he shares them in the frequently in the family group chat and is you know really stoked with that work and i think that's something that school doesn't really foster enough I think the way the school system's designed is it only really rewards people for being the best. And especially towards year 12 and in the HSC, there's such an emphasis on rankings and coming first in a subject. And that's what determines the mark you get at the end of the day. And um, I definitely think it does overlook the idea of, yeah, doing your best rather than being the best. It wasn't long after you left school that the world was rocked by a global pandemic that you mentioned earlier. How did school prepare you with the resilience you needed to get through almost two years of lockdown? Coming out of school, I realised how it instilled in me such a strong a need for a strong sense of community. Um, and I think definitely during the pandemic, and it's kind of ironic because it's the one time where you can't really 
get involved in the community as much as I would like to or anyone would like to. Um, being, for me, being able to stay in contact with people and, um, you know, whether that's Zooms with the footy club or I haven't seen my family for a while, being able to continue speaking to them on a, on a regular basis and staying involved with friends. I think it's that sort of support network that is provided by a community that helps me sort of go forward and deal with those situations. And it applies to the pandemic, but it also applies to any sort of, um, you know, difficult situation you're faced with in life. Mm-hmm. Every school kid faces pressure that could bring on anxiety and stress. But why do some kids get through it and flourish while others fall into mental health struggles? Well, I think uh, the thing about mental health, which is becoming more understood by society, is the idea that some people are naturally more predisposed to mental illness than others. And so, you know, at school, obviously, you're always going to have the ups and downs. Um, And I think I fortunately didn't incur any sort of serious mental health during school. I had friends who did and I think they'd be um, okay for me to speak on their behalf in saying that it's all about the support network and that is really whether you are just having a a healthy up and down or whether you're experiencing a mental illness, having, you know, your friends and your teachers and your family around you and for them to be able to talk through things or listen to you, um, give you a kick up the bun, a bum if you need or give you a hug, um, that makes all the difference in, in getting through those times. Very true. How easy is it for kids at school to avoid admitting they're struggling? Are there a lot of people that just simply put on a brave face and pretend everything is fine when it's not? Certainly. I think I can attest to that personally. I would have been about 15, 16, and, and this was in the times where I was most, my heart was most set on becoming an AFL player where I would have a training session. I was in the Swans Academy and so I'd have a training session in the afternoon and that morning I'd wake up and have this sinking sort of feeling in my stomach and already have butterflies. And I think, to be honest, if I look back on that, I it probably was a mild anxiety that I just sort of copped on the chin and and sort of endured, not really knowing that there was um, something not right there. Um, And so I think, you know, as a kid, going back to the idea of learning who you are, you're also just trying to distinguish between what feelings are healthy and which ones aren't. Um, And I think whilst you're learning that as a kid, there's many times when you're putting unhealthy feelings into the into the healthy basket and you're just putting on a brave face, whereas actually you're probably best to, you know, speak to someone about it and, and yeah, talk it through. Yeah. That speaking to people about it and talking it through, adults are being told that being vulnerable and admitting you're struggling with something these days is a sign of strength. Is it possible at school to be vulnerable and admit you're struggling or is that just fresh meat for bullies to feed on? Fortunately for me, I it was possible for me. I had really great friends and I went to a really great school where I did feel like if I was to confide in a friend and be open and vulnerable, they would never sort of use that back at me as ammunition. Um, but I think in, that's I'm in the minority to have that experience. Um, I think there's a lot of schools around that do still reinforce that macho man ideal where you know, the big strong athlete is celebrated and the humor is centered around taking pot shots at each other. And um, I think that whole idea of toxic masculinity is being discussed all over the country at the moment. It's quite pertinent and um, it definitely still exists. And and no doubt that prevents kids coming forward and, and being vulnerable with each other and being able to talk at that. Yeah. So do school kids sit and talk about mental health in groups at school? Or is it more an isolating, deal with it yourself kind of issue? From my experience, we the only times we ever really talked about mental health was, you know, formally in a PDH class. And um, I had a friend who went through a mental illness during school, and when that happened, one of the PDH teachers got us all together, and we had a bit of an open forum session where we could, you know, in a safe environment, ask questions and um, learn more about what that person was going through. 
in terms of, you know, with friends informally at recess or lunch, definitely weren't having any conversations around that. And I think that just goes back to we just assumed that each everyone was was okay and not that we wanted someone to suffer on their own, but we just assumed that, yeah, everything was fine with each other. Did you have any teachers in particular at school who just made you feel good about the life you were living today and not have to be anything extra special? For sure. I reckon Barnaby teachers encapsulate the premise of this podcast and that idea of everyday greatness. Uh, I think teachers, for me, made such a big positive impact on my life and I think the reason why is because um, they understand the value of a support network and I think that's why they often end up going into that profession is because, you know, the ability to have a positive influence on a kid and see how much that can help them, you know, fulfill their potential. Um, no one understands that better than teachers and so, yeah, no doubt they, um, they're great like that. Yeah, and did you have one teacher in particular that took you under their wing and was the beacon of light for you personally? Give him a plug. Use their name. Yeah, okay, I will. It's quite pertinent as well because he's actually leaving Hills Grammar. He's Mr. Smith, Michael Smith. He was the um, deputy for many years and then um, became the the head head principal um, once Mr. Phipps passed. Um, And, yeah, he was great, especially during year 12. You know, he'd sort of – I had lunch with him every Friday as part of the leadership team, but we set some time aside as well as that to um, talk things through and he was great in being able to sort of relate to my experiences and, um, yeah, did wonders for me. So who did you look up to when you were a leader at school in terms of leadership to leaders around the world? Well, because I was only ever really interested in being a, an AFL player, it was primarily just AFL players at that time. I mean, as a kid, the most the books that I read were Specky McGee and then once I became a teenager, <laughs> the only books I read were biographies of former AFL players. Um, and so, so who was the best captain in you, at, you, at the time? Oh, I reckon growing up, the, the especially in that Swans era of probably like 05, 06 when I was just really getting into footy, um, guys like Brett Kirk, I, I loved, I loved them, and I remember reading his book and just thought he was a great, well-rounded leader on and off the field. Could not agree more. Who do you look up to these days as great leaders? I think now it's sort of transitioned, and I'm just don't look up to people because of their platform, but more so how they use that for good. Um, and so. Adam Goods, for example, is an example of an AFL player who was obviously very good, but more so the what he's been able to do for, for racism and Indigenous people in this country and how he's made that um, at the forefront of people's minds um, yeah. is, you know, that's amazing how he's been able to transition that platform into doing something for the greater good and even, you know, someone not football related that I've sort of recently been interested in is his name's Andrew Forrest and he's a like a chairman of Fortescue Metals, which is like a big yep. mining company. And yep. I think a similar idea where not only has he, you know, got himself a great platform through, um, you know, his business, but how, you know, and that he developed that platform from non-renewable resources, but now he's using that to really transition and lead the charge towards renewable resources um, yep. and how he's been able to you know, use that for good and something that's really important at the moment. Um, I think it's those sorts of characters who I, who I admire. I couldn't agree with you more, Adam Goods, superstar of a human being. Do you, let me ask you a question about Cooper Lee. Mm. Do you feel like you are less of a man because you were never on the Sydney Swans list? This is an interesting one. I don't. I don't ever think I relate it to my manhood, um, but more generally as a person, I definitely think um, there were a few years there where I felt like I was uh, less of a person because I wasn't able to achieve what I wanted. You know, with my football. Yeah, there were times in high school when I would think, you know, I'd just be so much happier if I was, you know, one of these kids who was going on to be drafted and they were really good and I just would sort of derive my self-worth based on, you know, where I was at with football. 
Um, but then now I've been able to sort of move away from that rat race of trying to get drafted. Um, it's yeah. made me realize that, you know, football doesn't define me. Um, and it's not even like I was a professional footballer, but, um, you know, I've just got um, so much more going on in my life in terms of uni and my relationships with friends and family. And, you know, that's, that's where I'm sort of, you know, judging where I, where, how I am as a person rather than, you know, whether I'm playing good football or not. Yeah. So when, when the penny dropped that you weren't going to get signed by the Swans, did you feel like you'd failed or were you proud that you'd given everything you had and just didn't quite get there? Definitely proud. I, I think I've probably learnt more having experienced those rejections through my football career and I'm way better for it now than I would be had I had a dream run to the draft and then gotten drafted. I think, um, yeah, I'm all the better for it. And, you know, just that year I had with the Swans as a reserve um, and not actually, you know, being on the list but still being a part of the academy, the lessons I learned there have helped me enormously just at this point in my life. And so going forward, no doubt that will continue to prove valuable. You're just a beacon of wisdom. Do you have any do you have any advice for current school kids now that you're a life experience veteran? Well, I don't know about life experience veteran, but I think um, what really helped me through school is just the idea of investing in yourself and not really getting too caught up in what's going around you and what everyone else is doing and just sort of having your own goals and in a way, just putting the blinkers on. And I mean, you know, not that you want to become self-centered and um, be consumed with yourself, but um, just being able to, yeah, put the, all that exterior noise aside and um, focus on what you're doing, try your best at that, and then trust that trust that process that you'll, you'll get to where you want to be, um, you know, if you just sort of keep putting that effort into yourself. Incredible. Such a young kid. You sound like a wise old man. Pippa Lee, thank you so much for joining us on Everyday Greatness and I look forward to seeing your path in the future. Thank you, Barnaby. Look forward to seeing you in person as well. Thanks, mate. If every future CEO, sports captain, politician and teacher has been to a Y-Lead leadership program, the world is in good hands. Why Lead is an Australian schools leadership group that aims to develop confident young leaders capable of making a positive difference to the world. One CEO that has benefited from a Why Lead program is my next guest, the Why Lead CEO, Belinda Yorston. Belinda represents Why Lead's three pillars of leadership. Number one, that leadership begins within. Belinda has followed her heart in every pursuit she's undertaken. After being school captain at her high school, she followed her passion in dance and musical theatre. She followed her next passion and went to Africa with Wileed and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. When she got back, she was more involved in her local community and followed her passion in volunteering, which led Belinda to become the Wileed CEO in 2018. The second pillar of leadership of Why Lead is that together has power. Belinda got into the real estate real estate world where she started a business with her mother and they did it together. The third pillar is that leadership is action. Belinda believes we are what we do, not what we say. Belinda is essentially authentic leadership in action. Why Lead does school programs in New Zealand and meaningful schoolies alternatives in Australia. Belinda now offers all the experiences she experienced herself with Wileed as the CEO and offers it to all school kids in Australia and New Zealand. It's a pleasure to say that Belinda Yorston joins me now. Belinda, welcome. Thank you, Barnes. That was like probably the best intro I think I've ever heard. It was, I felt like I was on like, these are the days of your life. So I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. No problem. I hope you look forward to the days of our lives questions. <laughs> when, when you were at school, did you devote any time to thinking about the importance of, of being your authentic self? 
This is um, such a good question and obviously um, it's been a little while since I have been at school um, but I walk into a school every single day um, at Wiley and, and with my team and I just came off the back of our um, 9am team meeting and a lot of my team are a lot younger than I am. So I did a survey um, and I got them to kind of raise their hands for those that would agree with that statement or um, say, yes, they did think about what their authentic self was at school. And it was split. It was sort of half and half. And I think a lot of our conversation was around um, the fact that at school, it's quite challenging to step into who you are because you have so many of these different pressures around you in regards to peer pressure and um, you're still really discovering who who you are at, at, you know, 15 to 16 years of age, even that latter end of school. And so some people expressed and said yes, um, they did, and that was mainly because their school offered experiences for them to delve deeper and ask themselves some of those questions and identify who they wanted to be. Um, Others also said yes, but probably didn't realise that term or that phrase or identify it with authentic self. They said it was more they just had this feeling that some days that they couldn't be themselves or they realised they weren't being themselves because maybe they were doing things because their friends were doing them, not because it was something that was important to them or something that they wanted to do. And so I think that kind of led me to remembering definitely when I was at school and I reflect on this often when I'm working with young people particularly around that age of year 11, um, I I worked out that I liked people <laughs> and I, I wanted to spend more time with different people, not just the same ones every lunchtime. And so quite often off the back of one of my classes, um, I studied dance at school as well. And so I had great friends in my dance class, but it doesn't mean that they were my social friends. And so walking from dance to lunch, sometimes I might've hung out for a little bit longer with those girls or that group of friends that I'd made in my dance class. And by the time I got to my social circle, honestly, some of them would look at me and question me as to where I had been and who I'd been hanging out with. And um, those were the moments where I think I started to realise that, uh, yeah, there's some differences here in our values and our morals and who we are and it's quite difficult to navigate as a young person, which um, is why I'm so passionate about the work that we do as well. If the results of your extensive survey was about 50-50 in understanding the importance of being your authentic self, why is being authentic so important in school kids today? Such a good question, Barnes. I think it's important because, as we know, you know, you and I are more experienced in the real world now than when you are 10 years of age or 13 years of age or 17 years of age Um we start to identify and realize that life is about discovering and creating it for who and how you want it to be created. And there isn't this one set in stone pathway that you're expected to follow or should follow. And that's going to guarantee you you success. I was just having a chat to one of my friends this morning about success itself and the fact that it is so different and defined so differently for so many people. And you have to get comfortable with that. You have to learn to accept that and learn to embrace that it is different. Your version of success might be very different to my version of success. And those that do start to define that and unlock that in their lives, I believe are the ones that tend to lead a really passionate, successful and content life. And a lot of people and a lot of young people these days are actually looking for happiness and contentment and in my experience, I think that's when you discover it is when you feel comfortable in your own skin and you can embrace the world that you're a part of and the the world and the life that you're creating. So that's why I think it's probably pretty important for young people to start to explore it. That was a very diplomatic way of saying I was old. I'm experiencing real life. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about Why Lead. How does Why Lead help kids feel there is value in just being themselves? Mm, Such a good one too. One of the the biggest challenges we see with young people is um, there aren't enough opportunities and aren't enough spaces for young people to tap into what that authentic self looks like and who they are at their best and who they are at their core because for so long, you know, in our, our junior lives we're being told 
to go and do things or go and try things or we're subjected to whether our parents say, yes, you can go and play AFL um, or whether our parents say, no, you can't be a part of the choir. And so for all that, that whole lot of that time, a lot of it is based around someone else dictating for us what we can and can't do. Um, and obviously there's exceptions to that and there's um, different parts, but even our subjects at school, you know, in, in year eight, you get told what subjects you need to do. It's not until you're in year nine or year 10 that you start to get to select what those subjects are and the ones that are important to you and what you connect with and where your skills might lie. Um, so I, I think what we do at Wiley is we create a space for young people to have conversations about what's important to them, um, about what keeps them awake at night and, and what worries them. Um, and a lot of the time people don't have the skills to create spaces to have really authentic and open conversations because it's hard. It's it's hard to um, to talk about deep and honest things because we don't do it enough. Very true. Do kids need to be something grand, something inspirational, like school captain or prime minister to be valuable leaders? I think sometimes we think that, don't we? Um, but, no, our whole philosophy at Lead is that, you know, leadership is any action that makes the world you touch a better place. It's not about a badge, a title or position, but it's about being really aware that no matter who you are, you have impact and you have influence on the world, the world around you. So, you know, many people listening um, are a child or a son or a daughter or maybe you have um, children of your own. Um, lots of you will be in a workplace. Um, I hope you have incredible friendship circles. And so all of those parts of your world and your life, you have impact and influence on and through your daily actions, you actually can inspire others to be more and to do more. And so I think that goes back to the very beginning of why it's important for young people to discover their authentic self because your authentic self is is those things that make you unique and make you you. So if you're someone that is really humorous or um, carries a lot of humour, you can take that into your workplace and lighten the mood and make people smile at times of high stress or concern. If you're a very kind person, you can tap into that kindness and make sure in the evenings when you're going home to your loved ones, um, you spend that time with them to make them feel loved and make them feel like they're, they've contributed to your world that day and you're really grateful for having them in it. So, no, you don't need a badge, a title, a position and, you know, we get really good examples of bad leadership as well with people in those positions. And so um, I'm really passionate about a world of stronger role models for young people establishing that it doesn't have to, you don't have to be in a high profile position to be a remarkable leader. You can be someone that every day walks into a space with the intention to make that space better than it was um, before you arrived. That sounds like a good world to be in. Let me ask you about small behavioural actions. Is there any is there any weight in the phrase life's not about whether you win or lose but how you play the game? Is there any point in kids worrying about how they conduct themselves? Wouldn't it be more important just worrying about what they conduct themselves in? <sighs> Such a big question in so many different ways. Um I'm going to answer it like this, and I'm not sure if it's what you're hoping for or where you're going with it. But um, we just watched the, we just had the Olympics, right? So all of us watched the Olympics, and um, hopefully we watched some of the Paralympics as well, which were remarkable. They were so inspiring. While many of us have, have been in lockdown, um, it was that drive and hope, and you kind of rode this incredible emotional roller coaster with all the athletes that competed. And had a lot of pride and sense. I did certainly of being an Australian. Um, and when I was very young um, and working in real estate, one of my clients um, was actually a Paralympian. And I was blessed to have conversations with him um, while negotiating contracts or showing um, buyers through his house. And I remember him talking to me about what he was going through at the time where when you're at the pinnacle of something and you achieve something, you have to have something else to look forward to because when you hit that high, there is sort of this slump then of like what comes next. Um, and a lot of the time people value, I think, too much 
on their accomplishments or place too much value on their accomplishments and what they've done instead of actually taking a step back and going within and asking themselves, well, who do I want to be and how do I want to make an impact and have influence on the world? It's about saying, um, I use the example as well of, of Kobe Bryant, who um, was a brilliant athlete, passed away last year in a tragic accident. And he, if I asked a, a group of 15-year-old boys to describe Kobe Bryant, the words will come out where he was humble, he was dedicated, he was a hard worker, he would give to the poor, he was a family man. And so a lot of young people who identify as well and they describe this superstar athlete by all these words, but not one of them will say a basketball player. And so that's where quite often we reflect on the fact that it's not necessarily about you being a professional AFL player or being a professional basketball player or being an Olympian, it's who you are inside that makes you you because that is also what has really big impact on the people around you. A lot of people might say these small behavioural things, giving good back to the world, is just a waste of time. Isn't it so easy these days just to say you've been a good person on a made-up social media profile? I think that's one of the problems with the world at the moment, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Because as I said before, like, you know, there's so much influence that um, has, yeah, social media and posting something like that is having so much of an influence on so many people and obviously I'm very passionate about young people, so on young people in particular. Um, But a lot of the time they know that it's fake and the challenge is, knowing that it's fake and not actually having the skills or the tools to have a conversation that is below surface level, which is, um, yeah, what we do at Wiley and empowering young people with those skills to have those conversations to go, yeah, this is pretty funny, isn't it? But um, actually what's on the other side of the coin and they are becoming really aware of it um, now. And um, when you asked me that first question of if I considered who my authentic self was at school, like to be honest, I don't think I would have known what that phrase was then, but the amount of young people that I work with that are so aware now um, absolutely blows my mind and inspires me every single day and they are really aware of the hard work that goes in behind the successful results and that not everyone has a good day and some days are bad days um, and that is all part of being human. It sounds as though views have shifted a lot over the generations then. When I was when I was younger, because I'm such an experienced world world person now, <laughs> I used to think I had to change the world to consider, consider myself a good leader. But it seems as though kids nowadays realise that just adding small goodness is enough to be proud of themselves. Would that be true? I think it's true. I think there's, you know, there's this difference between being aware of something and then actually living into it and believing it um, and knowing it, I think there's still one of the other things that we do so well at Wiley is create space for young people to feel supported and motivated and encouraged. And unfortunately, not every young person gets that in every environment they step into. And so they may be aware that those small actions count. They become aware of it through our programs and our experiences. Um, but also they still need that little nudge or that push to be better and do more and be unafraid to dream big. Um, And I think that that is a a really important part of, I come back to role models again and and environments that we create. Beautiful. Why is authentic learning a thing nowadays? Shouldn't everybody just learn the way that feels natural for them? Yeah, interesting question. Um, I think the education system is getting a lot better at um, allowing a young person to express their individualism and and the way that they learn. Um, There's a lot more collaboration now in schools than there used to be and I've actually seen 
the critical thinking of young people improve. I've been in this industry for 11 years now, so it's crazy thinking um, right back when I started that change in the education sector for more collaborative work rather than it being so independent, which is a big part of the workplace and um, life beyond school and particularly university. Everyone says at university <laughs> a group assignment is the bane of their existence at, um, at uni. Um, I think that there is a lot to say for allowing a human to find their intuition and I think that that's where that phrase maybe authentic kind of learning comes from is I guess I don't know I haven't done a lot of research on it so I'm just um, talking off the cuff here really but I think if we can be doing things to allow people to discover their intuition from a younger age um, then I think that that's really great because there are so many societal pressures out there that really do challenge a young person or any person even myself living a true and authentic life that if that way of teaching and learning is going to allow them to tap into that intuition at a younger age then um, then I think that that is good. Very true. Let me ask you a bit about that social pressure that's felt. We all felt pressure and anxiety at some point during all of our schooling lives. How is pressure and anxiety manifesting manifesting itself today? In so many ways. Um, and it's obviously really big and it's a hot topic at the moment while our world goes through a really challenging time. Um, it manifests in... Yeah, in so many ways, I think um, the uh, the art to it though is is learning skills and having tools to use when you're feeling anxiety or feeling um, that extra pressure on you. And you know, number one tip for that is to make sure you've got a great support network. Number two is making sure you write your gratitudes. Um, and for anyone that doesn't believe in the research that's been done around that, in in regards to the connection with resilience and um, being grateful um please start you just start with having that conversation with your loved one at the end of the night before you go to sleep you know what are three things that you're grateful for today um breathing techniques i've been doing a lot of breathing lately because i think it's so funny we were brought into this world and the one thing we innately knew how to do was breathe but then we kind of forget how to do it when we're in quite high pressure or high stress situations so um getting better at that and then i think it's finding what it is for you that allows you to release those daily stresses and um, escape the world in a way. So, um, you know, buns for you, I'm not sure what it is now, but once upon a time it might have been playing football. Now maybe it's spending time with your wife and your family. Um, for me it's it's walking my dog Rex um, at sunset or sitting, I've got very privileged to have a beautiful view out my bedroom window. So I'll often just lie on my bed or in the sunken lounge and read. So find what that is for you to release some of those um, life pressures because, yeah, they certainly exist, but the, the art to it is learning how you cope with them. I'm glad you've been doing a lot of breathing recently. It's a handy skill. It is. I'm alive for it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so with the anxiety and pressure around these days, do kids need something extra to deal with it or is what's inside them good enough? I always think what is inside is good enough, but I think that, no, you definitely need skills um, and tools, as I've said. And I think, you know, I'm so passionate about young people and so passionate about all of them being heard and seen and valued and feel worthy and feel loved. Um, and so, yeah, when you talk about that being good enough, I think that that's, as humans, one of the things that hold us back most sometimes is, not feeling like we are good enough. Um, but there are those tools and those skills that I've just shared that you can learn. There's many more out there that you can tap into um, that will help you move through it. And, yeah, that's the work that we do at Wiley each day is, is share some of those and hold some of those spaces so that young people can have those conversations to ease some of those pressures because, um, as we know, if you bottle up all that pressure and you don't have conversation around it, it gets pretty heavy. And it feels very, very, very heavy. So having conversation releases um, those concerns and usually there might be someone that gets to share that, oh, I've been thinking like that too. I'm not the only one. I thought I was the only one that that was, you know, a little bit stressed about these upcoming exams or was struggling to work out what I want to do when I leave school because that seems to be the question that everyone asks me and I can't handle it anymore. Very true. That's 
to me, just let me get personal for a second, but that's one of the most impressive things I find about why lead is the practical lessons you teach people to walk away with that can make an impact on their lives. What was the most important thing you heard as a kid that you wish all kids knew today that you're trying to pass on through why lead? Mm, thank you for saying that. Oh, this is a really tough question because I, you know, I think there's just so much. Um, If I had to pick just one today, yeah, and I, I want to pretend that it's really difficult to pick one, but my mum always told me that if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And perhaps we should coin that phrase now as if you can't type anything nice, <laughs> don't type anything at all. Um Kindness will go a long way in our world today and we all have the power to be kind and that ripple effect of kindness is absolutely huge and it can be as simple as an act of genuinely asking someone how they are. Um, we just celebrated Are You OK Day, which is awesome that it's so big on our, our calendars now. Kindness could be actually congratulating someone when they make it into an elite sports team and you didn't quite get there yet. Like that takes courage. Um, but I think acting with kindness does take courage and we can do those small acts every day to make a really big difference. Very well said. Without naming names, have you seen any kids who when they turned up to the Y-League conference looked like they were really struggling but after learning the things you taught them at the conference, they went on to do things they didn't believe they could have done before? All the time. I'm actually getting quite emotional thinking about that as you, yeah, like nearly every day um, and in so many different ways. It's such a privilege um, to do what we do and I'm so grateful for my team that lead so beautifully and create these environments that really are life-changing for young people. Um, I'm sure you've experienced as well, Barnes, when we had the opportunity to, to travel to Tanzania and climb Kilimanjaro. You know, that's a, a big example of someone I never thought I didn't even know Kilimanjaro existed before <laughs> I met Wiley. So um, that's one example. Another is um, I think, you know, when you go back to asking whether we have to be a prime minister or a president or have a huge position to have big impact, this is another example of the fact that you don't. It is those small acts. So um, we run conferences for our volunteers uh, every year and it's a way that we can give back to them. We have 300 active volunteers across Australia and New Zealand and they're the most remarkable role models um, in the world today and they rely on each other and they create this beautiful support network within um, to think differently to other people because they really do want to live a life that is purposeful and passionate. And um, this conference that we run, one of our young people had come along to it um, because they seen us speak um, at a, another event, maybe at a, their school event or something like that. And I'd had a little bit of contact with them, but not too much, just always I'm a big one for sitting back and marvelling um, at connections that get created in our spaces. And um, I quite often remember seeing her when she first came being very shy and very reserved and knowing that she did have a lot of um, mental health challenges that she was going through, but she always showed up like always showed up and we were at a conference actually in Melbourne um, and, yeah, she came up to me and she said, I just want you to know that if it wasn't for these experiences then I wouldn't be here today. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of stuck with me as to why we keep fighting the good fight um, and doing what we do. That's very beautiful. Now, I hate to get self-indulgent on my own podcast. I hate when people do this, but I'm going to because it's relevant to my previous question. I've been lucky enough to give some keynote speeches for Y-Lead in the past, and one of the most beautiful stories from my speaking career was when I gave a speech to a Year 12 leadership group in Adelaide, and a kid came over to me afterwards, and he's all excited. He said, oh, Barnaby, thanks so much. That was great. I was like, yeah, no worries, mate. Just take a deep breath. Calm down. It's fine. <laughs> He said, no, no, I saw you speak at a year nine leadership conference and I followed what you said and what Wileed said and here I am at a year 12 leadership conference and I feel so good about it. And he wasn't a school captain. He wasn't aiming to be a 
a prime minister. He wasn't aiming to be anything huge. He just was really proud of who he was. And that, for me, sums up what Wiley does. Mm, thank you for sharing. It's so true. And there's, yeah, stories like that every day. And, yeah, we can't do it without um, everyone that supports us on that journey as well. So, yeah, thank you for always being there to, to create the magic alongside us. Oh, look, it's it's my pleasure. It wasn't a chance to pump my own tyres, but I'll get off my soapbox. How has the Y-Lead Leadership Pillar, Leadership Begins Within, helped you in your life, Belinda? I really, as I said, that intro that you gave was like, wow, um, thank you so much. And one thing that I really picked up on that you said there was that I did follow my heart. And I think that um, that has been an opportunity while it has offered me so many opportunities to um, go within and and self-reflect and become aware of what my values are, what my strengths are and how I would define myself um, as a person. And I think that it's just critical. Um, It really is. When you know what you stand for and you know um, what you believe in, it helps you make big and hard decisions as a CEO. Um, But it also helps you to stand up for what is right sometimes in a circle of friends or a conversation. Um, Knowing who you are within gives you confidence and a lot of people, yeah, are really chasing confidence in the world today. So um, it's critical and I certainly know that I can yeah, attest to all those years of experiences that I now have the privilege of teaching others how to tap into and do those things I'm very grateful for. So um, I think that answered that question. Sorry, I think I went on a tangent there. <laughs> no, that was perfect. <laughs> what about the second leadership pillar, Together Has Power? How has that helped you in your life? Uh, it's so big. You know, I think uh, – I was definitely a what you would classify as a high achiever at school. I was teacher's pet for like six years in a row um, to the point where one year they even told me that they couldn't give me the award because I'd had it so many times. Um, and so in that instance when you are, you do like to take on a bit of control, I think. And um, I know that I've learned the hard way in leadership that it's certainly not about controlling situations or it's not about having all the answers or um, it is sometimes around you know, influencing and leading and having conviction in your vision, but you can't achieve that vision or get to that vision without a team around you. And teams are ridiculously powerful when um, you can create an environment like we do at Wiley, which is a culture of, you know, there's no shame in, in making the mistakes. There's no shame in sharing ideas. We know that when an idea is shared, it, it might spark another idea, which is going to help us build an even better concept or a better idea. And we can do that together. Uh, we would not be who we are as an association without the support of our community or without, you know, the support of our team. And as you just shared, without, you know, all the people that make our village um, like our guest speakers. So teamwork really, really does make the dream work um, and we are moving into a a world of more collaborative um, approaches and you know, sometimes I work with year 12 students in leadership roles that get it better than some of the corporate <laughs> members of the world that I've met before. They just, they get it um, and they're really starting to hone into it and, and appreciate strengths and weaknesses in a team and the power of team and community. Sounds like the world's in good hands. And what about the third leadership pillar? Leadership is action. How's that helped you in your life? I um, was privileged enough to just get off a Zoom call last night with um, 15 of our New Zealand Farnu, so our family in New Zealand that are our volunteers over there. We just had to postpone um, our Rangatira, our New Zealand conference, but we're still touching base with them um, to prep and prepare and um, train our volunteers. And someone said to me their biggest learning from their Wiley experience was the acknowledgement of actually grabbing opportunities and taking action on them. And you might be a little bit scared or a little bit tentative about stepping up, but you you never know where that door will lead or when you grab one opportunity or lead to another opportunity. But if you just sit there and you don't take any of those opportunities, you know, you're never going to grow, you're never going to develop, you're never going to get to that place that you want to get to. And 
whether you admit it or not, we all do have desires and we all should have desires and we all should dream about them. And so action is the key that propels you from where you are now, you know, to where you should be, could be, um, or deserve to be as well. And yeah, I honor people that take steps outside their comfort zone. Action is key. Nothing happens without it. There's that also that analogy of, um, you know, if a, a pilot set off from Australia and put the little, uh, longitudes and latitude directions into their machine because I've heard they fly themselves these days. <laughs> Don't know about that though. Um, but if they just got one of those, you know, um, degrees wrong, that has the, it honestly, that can change someone's life because that plane might not end up in Dubai where it was planned to go. It could end up on the other side of the world in a different location just by that small, simple action. And it has the power to change yeah, your life and the lives of those around you. Belinda Yorston, you're an incredible human being. Thank you for everything you do. And thank you for everything Lead does in helping develop young leaders in Australia today, Australia and New Zealand today. Thank you to Cooper and Belinda for joining me on Everyday Greatness today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fourth year in a row. Thank you to Cherry Civil for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to Look Studio Australia for recording this episode. And I hope that when you put your device down in a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can join me next episode where I'll be speaking to Selena Edmonds, ABC newsreader and producer for the ABC's Disability Affairs reporter, Naz Campanella, and Karis Gelmi, a clinical nurse specialist in a major Melbourne hospital and community nurse. If you'd like to find out more about that episode, today's episode, or Everyday Greatness in general, go to our website, everydaygreatness.com.au, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. Thank you again for joining me today and thank you, Belinda. Thanks so much, Barnes. That was awesome. You're a legend.